Guess what, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can get access to exclusive bonus audio content and help this program grow by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. To learn more, head over to lionsofliberty.com support. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, it is time for another edition of Felony Friday right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday is the show where each and every single week I strive to expose injustice in this nation's broken criminal justice system. This is only one of three shows that we carry here on the Lions of Liberty podcast Each and every single week, we have a show every Monday hosted by Mark Clare, where he brings on leading minds in the liberty movement. He hosts roundtable discussions. And every Wednesday, we have a show called Electric Liberty Land. Last Wednesday, we had our Thanksgiving special. If you haven't heard that, it is crazy, and I really recommend you check it out. But that show is hosted every single Wednesday by Brian McWilliams. And you can get all three of these shows, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, by subscribing to the Lions of Liberty podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever the heck you kids get your podcast today. In today's interview, guys, it is wildly entertaining, let me tell you that. I will be interviewing Larry Levine. Larry is an interesting guy. He has some wild stories to share from his time that he was arrested to his time in prison, his stories as a prison consultant, and everything in between. We talked for well over an hour. Larry has appeared countless times in the media. He's been on CNN, Fox News, MSNBC, all the cable news shows. And I highly recommend, I will link to this one interview. We actually talk about it on the show today. He did an interview with Neil Cavuto talking about, I think, Bernie Madoff. And it is, it's some funny stuff, how he ends the interview. I will link to it on the show notes page, so check that one out. But one thing I do want to tell you about Larry is he is a very colorful guy. He's a colorful way of speaking. And I want to just ask everyone listening to please hide the kiddos away today. This is probably not the podcast for them. This podcast is marked explicit for a reason. And this episode of Felony Friday is the 99th episode, so that means you'll be able to find the show notes with links and notes to everything that Larry and I discussed today at lionsofliberty.com slash FF99. Before we get to this interview, I want to tell you guys about Health Excellence Plus. This is an incredible free market alternative to your standard corporate health insurance. You can find out more about Health Excellence Plus at lionsofliberty.com slash health. And just one last note, very important note, our friend, our supporter here at Lions of Liberty, Daniel Lee, him and his family have been hit very hard by the flooding in Houston. Daniel's project on Donor C, it's funded him. It's helped him directly and his mother in their house. But he has some other family members that really need some help. And we're hoping that this project, if we can get it fully funded in the next week or so, they can get back into their house by Christmas time, which would be fantastic. I'm going to link to Daniel's project for Donor C on the show notes page. My guest today on Felony Friday is Larry Levin. Larry is a federal prison consultant. In April of 2007, he founded American Prison Consultants. 
which is a legal service firm that provides information and federal criminal litigation assistance to lawyers and offenders going through criminal proceedings who are about to enter the federal prison system. On August 3rd, 1998, Larry was arrested in Northridge, California. He was convicted in December of 99 on conspiracy charges related to narcotics trafficking. Levin was sentenced to 10 years in federal prison while in custody. He served time in 11 different federal correctional institutes in California, Arizona, Texas, Nevada, and Oklahoma. During this time, he educated himself in federal criminal law. And upon his release in 2007, he has become a renowned international expert on the U.S. federal criminal justice system. Larry, welcome to Felony Friday. Hey, glad to be here with you. And it's Levine, not Levin. Oh, Levine. Okay. Levine. You know what? But it spells the same on a check. So that's okay. <laughs> that's true. And I yeah. got hit with narcotics trafficking, securities fraud, racketeering, obstruction of justice, and machine guns. So let's not cheapen my crime. Yeah, okay? let's let's not cheapen that. So let's let's start right there and jump into that. How did that how did that happen? How did that go down? How did you get, get tied up in that? I was a troubleshooter for an East Coast organized crime family, and I was essentially working on the West Coast, but I was more of like an efficiency expert for the mob, more bang for the buck. I would take crime, and I'd make crime better, you know? And I was a private investigator at the same time that I was doing this, and, you know, there's informants everywhere. People are telling on each other and shit, and... I ended up getting caught in an investigation that involved the ATF, FBI, DEA, Secret Service, uh, U.S. Marshals, immigration. The prosecutor called me the supermarket of crime, if you can believe that. Inevitably, I ended up selling methamphetamine directly to the DEA. I got set up. I sold an ounce, an ounce, a pound, then two pounds. That was the main charge. I had a business associate I'd known for a long time, I didn't know he was in trouble with the feds, told me that he needed, his fiance had cancer, which I knew she did. She needed money for cancer treatments and that he had a person, if I could find methamphetamine, that would pay him a large commission. Now, it's like I wasn't slinging drugs, not really, and I smoked some weed and such. The point is that eventually I said, all right, fine, let me see what I could do. And he set me up, and I sold to the DEA several times. They never arrested me. I ended up selling to the Secret Service. Counterfeit, I don't know, 20s, 50s, 100s, driver's licenses, birth certificates, social security cards, passports, check stuff, you name it. And we, we were able to manufacture it. American Express Traveler's Checks, postal money orders, food stamps. Food stamps are really easy, too, to do. There was no plastic cards like they have now. So I was involved in a lot of criminal activity. You know, it was common for me to break the law. But I got in too deep, and I had been a military intelligence officer for several years. I decided the government sucked. I got out, took it commercial, became a PI in L.A. so I could pick and choose my clients. And that's kind of how I got involved with organized crime. And... Um, and I got arrested. This is really ironic. I got arrested in an El Torito parking lot. I was there to meet the confidential informant. Uh, 
Gary Robert Perro, whose birthday is 2552. If anybody runs into this fat fuck, you can tell him I haven't forgot about him and that I troll his entire family on Facebook. One day he will pop up. Anyway, so I was meeting this fat fuck at El Torito and inevitably, I mean, I guess to do a drug deal, they wanted seven pounds of meth, which I wasn't a meth dealer. I couldn't get this fucking product. I get other stuff though. But he set up this meeting and I get there and I'm inside. I'm having, you know, some shots of tequila. It's happy hour. Finally, I get a phone call from this piece of shit. I go out into the parking lot and I'm looking around and I see him and he waves over at me. I'm thinking, there he is. Then all of a sudden, he like kind of disappears. He went behind a vehicle and I hear like, put your hands in the air, put your hands in the air. And like all these federal agents jump out from behind vehicles with like automatic weapons and shotguns and pistols and shit. And I'm looking around and I'm thinking, wow, something's happening here, you know, and I'm looking and I'm looking only to realize, hey, you know, they're looking at me. So I shout over to one of these fucking agents. I said, you talking to me? He goes, yes, put your hands in the air. And I go, hey, lower your weapons. I'm not going to fucking hurt you. It's okay. And, you know, John, they're doing the federal shuffle. You know what the federal shuffle is? Uh, No, I don't. They're taking like three steps forward and one step back. You know, like they're like real fucking cautious. And I'm just like watching these people just shaking my fucking head. So finally, all right, I'm going to get down on the ground. My hands are at my side. Now, you fucking people be careful. I said, I don't want to see anybody put their hand on that trigger. Because if somebody kills me and we'll find out who you are, someone's going to come after you. This won't end here today. So you keep that in mind. So I go and get down on the ground and, you know, they rush over to me. You know, they rush me. And they're grabbing my hands and they're cuffing me behind their back. And they're like, do you know who we are? And they're all wearing their windbreakers. You know the windbreakers these fuckers wear, John? Oh, yeah. I've, I've, seen, little, the the, I've seen the movies. I've seen the movies. You've seen the movies. They got all their fucking windbreakers on. And I go, well, I don't know. From the looks of it, maybe you're like a federal law enforcement task force. Is that what it is? And uh, they don't say shit. So I don't say shit. I don't know at this point that I've been set up by this cocksucker. You know, it's like, okay. So they take me over to this shopping mall, and all these assholes are running around. I'm handcuffed in the back of a vehicle. They've all got their cute little windbreakers on, and they're calling each other by name, you know, first name. I had all all their names and faces. So eventually I get taken to the Federal Detention Center in L.A., MDCLA, and um, that's when it all starts. And about a month later... When I was finally indicted, I knew a couple days later that this fucker was the informant. So were you able – you weren't able to get out on bail during that I was time. a – John, I was a threat to the community. You know what that means? That means they thought that you were maybe going to flee? I don't know. What, what does that exactly mean? No, it means that the magistrate judge, after I was arrested, deemed me a threat to the community – And the prosecutor said in the event that I was given bond that I would kill the confidential informant and his entire family. So, needless to say, John, I didn't get bond, did I? It doesn't sound like it. No, no, it didn't sound like it. That's okay. 
So anyway, so I go to this meeting at the U.S. Attorney's Office, and over the period of time from when I was arrested till I had this meeting with the prosecutor, I'm getting discovery. You know what discovery is, right? Yes, yes. Okay, so there's all these crime reports. So they got all these agents, first names, last names, says what agency they're with, and there's like all this shit, you know, it's like all these different reports of different things that I did. But meanwhile, I am putting names and faces together based on the night, you know, the night I was arrested or the day I was arrested. So now I know first name, last name, and a face, and I know the agency. So the prosecutor, the U.S. Marshals take me over to the federal building from the Metropolitan Detention Center. And the prosecutor says to me, do you have any questions before we get started? And this fucker, like, put his name, R. Michael Bellotta. Didn't have his first name there. Used his initials as his first name, which I hadn't really seen before. So I go, yeah, like, what does that R in your name mean? The guy's, like, look at it. He goes, well, that's not what I meant. Do you have any questions? I go, well, I'd like to know who you are. And he goes, well, I don't really like to say, but my first name is Rudolph. I go, really? Well, actually, that R stands for Ronald. Your name's not Rudolph. So now we've established the fact you're a liar. I figured, we, you know, John, we'd start this meeting off right. So they take me into this conference room. My lawyer is with me. And the prosecutor smugly says, well, since you already know who I am, I love telling this story, since you already know who I am, why don't I introduce you to the other people in the room? Well, all those federal agents that I saw that night I was arrested, that I had the discovery on, they're all sitting around this table. You know, it was like out of King Arthur, and they were the knights of the round fucking table. So I look at the prosecutor, and I says, you know what, why don't you let me do that? And I point to each one of these motherfuckers, and I give their first name, their last name, and what agency they're with. And they're looking at each other, they're looking at me, and they're looking at the prosecutor. And they're going, that's impossible. He can't possibly know this. So I go, well, now that we know what I know, what is it you know? What is it you want to know from me? So you see what I've done here? I took, you see what I did, John? I took control of their little meeting. You, you Th- flipped it. You flipped it I on flipped them. I flipped it on them. They couldn't figure out how I did this. I got on the phone several times because they monitor. How did you do that? Because the night I got arrested, they were all running around in their windbreakers. They were calling each other by first name. So I've got a photographic memory. Okay, Okay. here's this idiot's face. This is their agency. They're wearing the windbreaker. Here's their first name. When I got the discovery, they were all in there, identified by first and last name and Mm -hmm. agency. So it was easy. They never figured this out. It's like they were like shocked, like I was fucking Houdini or something. You know? Oh, that's crazy. I was, gonna, I was gonna tell you something, but I lost my fucking train of thought. But anyway, so it was some crazy shit, you know. My case, I was locked up in a detention center for almost two years before I was sentenced. Cause I had like a hundred co defendants in my case. I was like the case that just kept on coming. I got two 10-year sentences and a five-year sentence. I got 10 years for narcotics trafficking, 10 years for um, securities fraud, and five years for obstruction of justice because they said I wasn't truthful and forthcoming. Was, so, was, your, was your sentence similar to what your co-defendants got, or did you get more time? 
No, because people ran their mouth like a fucking toilet. You know, people talking about shit that, in my opinion, that was really none of their business that they shouldn't be talking about. But I didn't say anything. I didn't know. You know, it's kind of like my clients now. Some people who are listening may know I run Wall Street Prison Consultants. I'm a federal custody advisor and prison consultant. I get people ready to go into prison. But I also teach people how to beat the lie detector. I've ran shows on my uh, Street Justice with Larry Levine on BBM Global. I've run shows on this, how to beat the lie detector. I've taught people how to lie on the witness stand, how to confuse the prosecutor. Give yourself you know, whatever edge it is that you can. And my shit just went on forever. You know, I was on the witness stand. They wanted to give me like 25 fucking years. I ended up getting 10 years because it was all ran concurrent. And the prosecutor, he's like cross-examining me. Because <clears throat> I took the stand to try to get downward departures. And it's like this shit you see on TV. Well... Where were you on the night of da-da-da-da-da da 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 And I'm just listening to this son of a bitch go on and on and on. And I, like, stop him. And I look over at the judge. I said, Your Honor, can I ask a question? And the judge says to me, he goes, well, it's highly irregular for the defendant to ask a question. And the prosecutor says, no, no, let him go. It's okay. So I look over at the prosecutor. I said, sir, you're asking me about something that happened several years ago. I said, do you honestly think that when I'm out there committing crimes, I'm keeping a log and writing all this shit down? I said, how the fuck do I know where I was on that day and time? Can you tell me where you were on that day and time? Do you remember where you were? <laughs> and the judge chuckled and everybody in the courtroom like fucking started laughing at the prosecutor. Because it's true. I mean, right. think about it, John. Do you know where you were three years ago today? I couldn't tell you where I was a month ago. I mean, it's <laughs> it's like no shit. But fi finally, you know, finally I got sentenced. But they took me to sentencing 17 times, which is a fucking ordeal in itself. 17 times. I kept sending my discovery home, thinking, all right, I'm going to get sentenced. I don't need to have this shit. Finally, one day, about a year and a half down the pike, I asked my lawyer, I said, you know what, I want new discovery. I want to re-familiarize re myself with all this. Because, you know, I'm sitting there in this detention center. My brain is turning to jelly, but I'm helping people writing letters to judges for sentencing and shit, apologizing for their crimes, just nonsense, learning so you, the law. So you actually started helping people and learning the law before you were ever even sentenced? Oh, yeah. I oh. like, well, I'm seeing, you know, I was in this detention center for two years and roughly two years and I'm seeing people after I got there get arrested I know what their charges are and I see how much time they're getting and then I see other people in unrelated cases that get charged with the same shit and they're getting different sentences and then something in my mind clicks like Something, why, why did he get a different sentence than him? You know, John, mm -hmm. yeah. something isn't fucking right here. Now, you know, there's something called the U.S. Sentencing Guidelines. Are you familiar with this? Um, not intimately. You know, well, the feds. Okay. Years and years and years ago, back in a land far away, like in Star Wars or some shit, they came up with the U.S. Sentencing Guidelines to standardize a sentence and a crime. 
So the moron that robbed a bank in L.A. gets the same sentence for the same crime in New York or in Miami. So they made it like uniform sentencing. And they take your criminal history into consideration and how many times you've been convicted, what the dollar loss is if it's a financial crime, the drug quantity if it's a narcotics crime. And they use this matrix and figure out how much time you should get. And this is like what I'm noticing. Okay, well, Charlie over there was in a cocaine case and he had three kilos of blow, right? And then uh, Bill down there, well, he moved three, uh, three kilos of product also. But why is his sentence different than his? Should not be. Let's take a look at the criminal history. Okay, each one of these morons don't have any criminal history. So, John, theoretically, they should have the same sentence, shouldn't they? You would think so, yeah. Yeah, you fucking would, wouldn't you? Well, they didn't. And that's when I really started digging into the law and the guidelines and researching people's discovery, their indictments, their criminal complaints, giving people guidance. And I didn't know any of this shit beforehand. Giving people guidance on plea agreements and probation reports. And I was able to, I want to say like the Da Vinci Code, I was able to unlock the code in my head. I understood why things were happening, what they were using, and what buttons could be pushed to change the outcome of a criminal case. And eventually I ended up getting my sentence. You know, I went to, like I said, I was in 11 different institutions over 10 years. You know, that's a lot of institutions, isn't it? John. Yeah. Why? So why so many? I mean, is this, this isn't normal. I don't think I haven't really heard of this from, from other people. So what was the driving factor behind that? Driving factor is that I am an asshole. Okay. What is the easiest way to deal with a problem? Just get keep, rid of it. Uh, keep moving get it around. Rid of so. it. Get rid of it. So they kept on transferring me and I even furlough transferred twice where they actually released me and they gave me one time they gave me a Greyhound bus ticket. Another time, they gave me a, an airplane ticket. They released me for X amount of time. Just take yourself. Just go. Go to this other prison. You know, when I was at Safford, Arizona, I had like 300 inmates working for me. And they said that I had too much authority, that I was one step from carrying keys and a radio. And this like it wasn't normal. So you let, know? Let, me, let me jump in there and ask yeah, you. Yeah. So, so how did you... How did you gain that authority? You know, you come into a new place, you're, you're moving it every several months. When well, you I was went at to a new place, place for a couple of years at this place, but okay. Yeah, well, yeah, but how did you gain that authority there? Because I'm smart. No, because, okay, first of all, you're a smart guy. You and I just recently met, so I'm assuming you are. You put this whole show together and whatever it is you do. But you know, John, how the majority of people you run into in society are like fucking morons? Of course. Well, okay. Welcome to the fu- – I tell my kids this. Welcome to the fucking world. All right. So I'm not trying to say I'm smarter than other people, better than other people. But I was able to take – remember that I was like a military intelligence officer. I was trained as an emotional terrorist. You know what an emotional terrorist is, John? Is that like Donald Trump? Donald Trump's a fucking moron. No, what I'm able to do – is I can get into somebody's head. I can take control of a situation and I could 
essentially changed. This is kind of like what the mafia ended up using me for. That I could change the outcome of a situation if I know what it is that we want to do. That's like one of the first things I ask my clients. Well, what are your objectives? What are your goals here? Once I know that, we can work towards it. Instead of people are just like up in the air like a fucking dial tone. Like, eh. You got to know what it is you want. So I get into a correctional setting. I was able to stand back and take a good fucking look around. Okay, what is really happening here? You know, what can or cannot be done here? And I got into a good job. And then there were other people in other jobs that weren't able to handle their job. So I started helping them out and assuming their responsibility. Then I started consolidating my power. Follow what I'm saying? That... I was able to become, I don't want to say indispensable because nobody is, but to the point that the facility manager of this institution relied on me, that if a staff member in the facilities department wanted to buy something, they had to go through me first. I had to create a purchase request. The staff member had to justify to me why they wanted it. And I would bring the purchase request over to the facility manager, and he would like just sign off on it. And it was kind of like the old MASH Raider O'Reilly thing. This guy would sign whatever I put in front of him. It's like he'd sign it off because he knew that I wasn't going to backdoor him or I wasn't going to like fuck him over. But eventually he had issues. He got transferred. I was on an institutional need there. Matter of fact, they tried to move me several times, but they couldn't. There were like staff members that didn't like me because I had too much power and authority. But eventually I ended up getting transferred. You know, I got transferred to Lompoc, California. And I was the highest paid inmate out of about 4,000 people. I was making like $700 a month from the institution. Uh, Working for the trust fund, just stuff. The Italians got me in. They said, we know a smart Jew that knows how to run shit. It's funny because I got staff members on my Facebook, retired and active BOP staff members I became friends with that think the shit I do is just like wonderful. But I got into a political beef with an administrator that had nothing to do with me. And this guy assigned me to a job that exceeded my medical limitations. And I brought in eight U.S. senators, five congressmen, the FBI, and internal affairs. And I gave him an opportunity to basically back down. I says, do you really, really want to play games with me? I'm giving you an opportunity right now I don't give most people. I said, this is a job. Just treat this as a fucking job. You know what? I'm not your enemy, but if you want to try to fuck me, I'm going to fuck you 10 times as hard, you know? And I did. I lit this motherfucking place up, John, so bad. They gave me a plane ticket and released me for like eight hours. So said, when, when you say you, you brought in senators and representatives, how did you how did you pull that off? Because I know people. People rely on me for things. I had people on the outside, like, reach out and contact. I wrote letters that went to the right places. You know, I do a SWOT analysis. You know what a SWOT analysis is, John? God, I should you know don't. that. Strengths, yeah, I, 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 know the, I know the acronym. I can't. Strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats. Yes. All right, so let's take a look around here. All right. What are my strong points? What are my weaknesses? What are my opportunities? I did a threat assessment, essentially, just like I was back in the military operating in the Middle East. All right, well, what do we got here? What can I do here? What fucking buttons can I push here? What kind of discontent can I start among the staff? How do I make them distrust each other? 
How do I make it appear that they're in the middle of a fucking conspiracy? I just lit things up. They were getting letters from congressional and senators like every week to the point I made things so hot for this motherfucker. They just had to move me, didn't they? What's the easiest way to deal with a problem? Get rid of him. Move him. So they gave me a plane ticket. Just leave. Just go. And eventually I ended up, this is really good. I ended up in Texas at Latuna federal prison over there on the El Paso uh, Mexican border. And it's everything you could think about a federal prison. And we were moved from Nevada. Actually, that's where I went from Lompoc when they gave me the plane ticket. Well, the prison in Nevada ended up closing. It was on an Air Force base. And if you had to do time, this was the kind of place. It was a camp. It's pretty cushy, too. Inmates bringing in hookers from town, people getting blowjobs. There was, like, people smoking weed, talking on cell phones, drinking booze, special food. I'm thinking, I could stay here, right, Joe? Why leave here? This is That's wonderful. Prison? What? Yeah, no shit. But it's on an Air Force base. It's on Nellis Air Force Base. And we're mingling with the Air Force people, but they have it. They put this stoop. They put this prison like like a quarter of a mile from where all the nuclear weapons were stored, right? It's like, gee, let's see. What, what mental genius came up with this? Well, they ended up closing the place. And we even knew when they were moving the weapons because they would lock us down and the lights would come on and we could like look out the windows and we could see like the the gray chrome semi-trucks moving and shit. It's like, anyway, they ended up closing the joint. They moved me and a couple other hundred other people to Texas, to this place, Latuna Federal Prison. And yeah, they can move you to places, but they illegally moved us. They took us outside our custody and our security level, moved us more than 500 miles from our home, a record. Now, this is mostly business people. We're right there on the border. There's like violent offenders here. They're People, they're getting ready to send back to Mexico, you know. This is mm-hmm. the deportation prison. And they weren't used to having smart white-collar people there. But all these white-collar people are wetting their pants and shit. And it's like, I'm not afraid of this shit. I ended up filing a class action habeas corpus lawsuit. You can read about it on Wikipedia, on my Wikipedia page, against the Justice Department on behalf of everybody. And I caused them to move hundreds of inmates all over the country. All because they didn't follow their policy. And I caught them at it. I lit them up. I know many of you are facing major decisions with your health care right now. And I want to make sure that you know about an amazing alternative to your standard corporatized health insurance known as Health Excellence Plus. Health Excellence Plus is an incredible program that helps you keep medical costs under control by taking charge of your own health care and not leaving all the decisions about what doctors you see, and what procedures you need or don't need up to some corporate bureaucrat. Along with providing 24-7 access to medical professionals, tax-deferred health savings accounts, and preventative care, Health Excellence Plus empowers you to finally take control of your health care. To learn more, head on over to lionsofliberty.com slash health or call the special hotline for Lions of Liberty listeners at 855-290-4447. Be sure to mention Lions of Liberty. So was there was there any precedent for that or precedent for what? For them for, like them for moving sub- people illegally? 
Well, no, no, no. For for someone challenging it like you did and submitting this uh, habeas corpus petition to the DOJ. Well, you submitted to the court against the DOJ, but yeah, I mean, inmates had filed things before. Had another inmate ever filed a class action on behalf of several hundred inmates who were illegally moved? And I put it, see, and I was kind of clever, and I put, and all others similarly situated, because that opened the door to people at other places, too. I threw that in just to fuck them, you know? But they ended up moving hundreds of inmates all over the country because of me. And when I was at this place, I had special permission from the federal court. I had an unlimited law library, which really pissed them off. And um, I wasn't like the warden. was this short little sawed-off son of a bitch. He had no neck, you know. He's a transparent motherfucker. I mean, how are you today, Mr. Levine? I go, good, good. You know, how are you, young man? He's like talking shit to me. But the staff was like terrified of this sawed-off bastard. They really were. And... I would be standing there out on the yard talking to him, and he'd be shouting at me, waving his hands, and I would be shouting shit back at him, getting all fucking cuckoo ways, you know, like moving my arms around. And the staff can't figure this shit out because they're terrified of this guy, right? But meanwhile, they see me, like, getting in this guy's face. Now, if I'm not afraid of your boss you terrify, you're terrified of, you think I'm going to be afraid of you, John? No. No, I I don't think so. They no. wouldn't even shake my fucking locker down. They wouldn't. Wouldn't do shit. You know, they just left me alone because I put them on warning. They told me SIS, that's the special investigative section. They were watching me. Um, they're well, really, they're watching me. Will you tell those motherfuckers I'm watching them too? And if they fuck up just once, I'm going to nail their balls to the fucking wall. Do you hear what I'm saying? Yeah, well, we'll let them know. You know, I, I did. And they were going to close. There was like a lot of dissension among the staff, you know, and I was able to help push that along. And I created a newspaper um, advertisement in the local El Paso paper that the institution, well, first I went around and told the staff that the institution was going to be closing, that I had inside information, right? It was going to be closing. And that uh, they were all going to be out of a job and the Justice Department would fuck them just as soon as they would fuck the inmates. So you see what I've done here, John? I've created like dissension and distrust, suspicion. Turned everyone against each other. Then I had a trusted associate place a newspaper article, or not article, advertisement on the outside in the local paper for a private correctional facility seeking, you know, applications from people with federal experience with an address in New York. So now everything I said to them looked true, didn't it? Because they saw this advertisement. So these stupid motherfuckers start submitting all their resumes. God, aren't they dumb? They submit all their resumes. Now I have all this personal information on all these people. I know their wives' names, where they live, and all this shit. And I would go around. I would tell them I was psychic. And I'd hold my hand in front of their head. And I would tell them personal. Yeah, you've never heard shit like this before, have you? I'm probably your <laughs> no, best fucking. No, I guess. have not. This is I incredible. would hold my hand in front of their head, and I would tell them personal shit about themselves and their family and their education. Like you can't know this. I go, you're right. I can't know this, but I do. 
I go, well, what about him? Let's see if I can like read his mind. And I would do this shit. I didn't have paperwork on everybody, but I had it on enough people that I did this shit. Well, it didn't take them long to move me, right? They moved me. They, I flew on Con Air. One day they rolled my ass up. They rolled me up. And um, I'm doing like the shuffle across the compound. I got the belly chain on with the handcuffs and the leg chain and shit. People are pointing, wow, look, they rolled Levine up. So I figure I should make a production out of this. I shout out real loud, well, I've been thrown out of better fucking prisons than this, you know? But then, you know, my sentence is winding down, and these motherfuckers are trying to get rid of me, and they try to release me, John, six months early. Can you imagine that? And I told them, I'm not leaving. I'm staying. You turned down and being released I am going six to, months early. I'm not I'm I'm not leaving, I'm staying, and I am gonna fuck you motherfuckers right to the last fucking minute. Matter of fact, I'm gonna tell you step by step how I am doing it. And there is nothing you can fucking do about it. Nothing at all. And I did. I fucked them right to the last minute because the day that I was being released, they had ended up sending me back to my old stomping grounds, MDCLA. And it was the day of my release, and I didn't even bother telling them. I knew it was my release date. I woke up in the morning, and I got my breakfast and played some basketball out on the little rec deck they have there because you're like in this building, high-rise building, kind of like where El Chapo is at in New York, same kind of setting, although I wasn't sitting in solitary forever. But uh, I don't say shit. You know, about <clears throat> 1 o'clock, they're like shouting my name frantically over the loudspeaker to report to the officer station. So I know what it's about, but I take my fucking sweet time. The guy's like, well, where have you been? I go, well, I've been here the whole time. Well, you're being released today. Don't you know that? I go, well, what is today? And he tells me, I go, yeah, I know that's my release date. He goes, well, why didn't you tell us? And I go, really? Listen to what you're saying, stupid. I just finished serving a 10-year sentence. It's in the computer, and you people know this is my release date. Is this really my responsibility to tell you that I'm going to be released? Don't you know this shit? They're, like, angry. I didn't tell them it was my release date. But eventually, they send me over to R&D. And when you get released, released from a prison, they give you, like, an index card that has your information on it. You do what's called a merry-go-round, where you have to go to like all these different staff members to sign off on you, right? And they ask you like, what's your first name, your last name, your mother's maiden name, what's your inmate number and all this shit. And I knew where this was leading. So I started, John, after all these years, if you could believe it, on my very last day of custody, I forgot my inmate number. Could you imagine that? I told the guy, I said, you know, in all this confusion, I don't remember I think, I think it starts with a one, maybe one, one, seven something. And I go, I don't know my inmate number, but I know my FBI number. He goes, yeah, sure you do. I go, I think I do. I go, uh, let me see, uh, five, four, 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 six, seven PB two. And the guy's like looking at the paperwork. He goes, that is your, in your FBI number. You can't know that. I go, well, I guess I do. Don't I? So then I get to the point where I'm, Signing papers. Now, John, you've heard before when people are getting released, they're supposed to give you money. Have you heard of that? 
I believe so. Yeah. They, they call it gate money, right? Mm-hmm. Take, take a wild guess how much money these motherfuckers wanted to give me. Just take a guess. I have no idea. All um, right. Well, they could a have. thousand bucks. A thousand dollars. Yeah, maybe the warden was going to send his wife over to blow me too. But anyway, <laughs> they could give you like up to $300. Well, they wanted to give me the grand sum of $2.50, right? Two fifty, which was just enough for me to take the metro from downtown L.A. out to the San Fernando Valley where I was from. Two fifty. So I look at this fucking lieutenant and I go, you know what? I'm sorry. I'm not authorized to accept your funds. And he like gets in my face. What do you mean you can't accept my funds? I said, I'm not authorized to accept your funds. I'm sorry. And he goes, well, if you don't take the money, I don't have to release you. So I like stand up and I get nose to nose with this cocksucker and I point at the clock. I said, you see that clock? It is 315 and I cannot be on your four o'clock count. And today is my mandatory release date. So you don't have a fucking choice. You have to release me. And I ain't signing your fucking papers. You take the fucking money. And, John, this threw them because you know how, like with the feds, like everything has to be signed off. There's like all this procedure. Oh, yeah. Well, they did. Bureaucracy. They they didn't have a procedure for somebody telling them no. So I'm standing by the door and they're all talking and shit. And I'm going, hey, guys, clock is ticking. And I'm pointing at the fucking clock. Remember, didn't I tell them I was going to fuck them right to the last minute? Yeah. So, nope. so what was your objective at that point in time? My objective was to bust their balls because nobody else does. People are scared of the system. You know, I get these people, John, that are they're going into custody, right? They're scared. They're angry. They're confused. Their lawyer has taken all. You, you ever been divorced? Well, you're young. You ever been divorced? No, no. I you know people that have, I imagine. Of course. Okay. Who's the big winner in a divorce? The woman? No, the lawyer. Okay. It's true. The two lawyers know each other. They sleep with the same women. Maybe they sleep with each other. Who knows? But the point is, the lawyers wait. They milk the people until there's no more money left. They go, okay, well, yeah, no more money for this couple. It's time to settle. Well, it's the same thing in a federal criminal case. That the sentencing guidelines that I told you about used to be mandatory. Now they're advisory. So the court uses them. The probation office uses them. The prosecutor uses them. It's the playbook. The defense lawyer uses them. So you were in a drug case. This was the quantity of drugs that you had. And you have this amount of criminal history. So theoretically, this should be your sentence. You could figure it out after I taught you for about 20 minutes, John. It would come like real easy to you, okay? So you get yourself a public defender that pleads you out because most people plead guilty anyway. If everybody went to trial, it would bottleneck the system. Why do you need to hire a $50,000 lawyer? What could that 50K lawyer do for you that the public defender couldn't? You see what I'm saying? They can't. In Mm -hmm. most cases, they can't. So I tell people, you know what? You don't need a fucking lawyer. You don't need to hire a lawyer. You get yourself a public defender. And I tell them that the feds are, in some cases, are a hoax. They're a fucking joke. Your biggest enemy is going to be boredom, really. 
you're going to be bored to fucking tears. But on the other hand, you know, John, like John, you probably do you live a live a live a hectic life. A little bit, yeah, pretty hectic. Pretty hectic. Okay. Juggle juggle a couple different things. Yeah, different well, I think, businesses. I jobs. think we all do. I've got my hand in a few different things, if you can imagine that. But the point <laughs> is that. You're getting phone calls all day long. People want you to do shit. You got all these obligations, but you go to prison that, well, I, hey, I got to go do my little job and sweep up some leaves or something. But other than that, I can sleep a lot. I have nobody calling, bugging me, asking me for money. I can get healthy. I've got free medical. I've got food. I tell people you are going to enjoy the downtime. You will. It sounds kind of like college. Well, it sounds like the it's like, without the alcohol. Well, well, um, yeah. yeah, but that's there too. That's Bruno Hooch booze. <laughs> People are making that too. One of my last radio shows, uh, I had somebody I was locked up with call in. He's a hell's angel, and he was like a brewmaster, and he was like teaching people how to make prison booze. But the point is that people that go in, in some of them, they tell me I'm nuts, and I tell them you're going to think I'm crazy. They enjoy the downtime. Because they don't have I think, any. I mean, I think what people miss the most, right, is the family, their comforts, their families, their friend well, having. Let's you know, let's talk about comforts of life. The feds, because that is what I do. All right? right. It's like there is no rehabilitation in the federal system. It's not even in their mission statement. They will house you in a safe, sane, secure, humane environment, so you can return to society as a productive, law-abiding citizen. I memorized that. Do you hear anything about rehabilitation there? The, the, no. the punishment is being away from your friends and family. Now, the term penitentiary, you've heard that term before, I imagine. Of course, of course. Do you know what penitentiary stands for? You don't. I can't or you say I do. Penitence. You are repenting hmm. for your crimes. So that is why they send you there. But there's no rehabilitation. The job training is like all fucking nonsense. It is the whole thing is a hoax. I mean, even the plea agreements. I just did a special on plea agreements a couple of weeks ago on my show. I'm going to touch on that just a hair. I know you're running out of time here, but I tell people, all right, you got this plea agreement. The plea agreement is between you and the prosecutor, between you and the executive branch of government. Judge isn't a party to this plea agreement, so the judge really could do whatever he wants. You are agreeing in the plea that you're going to do this and this and this and this and this. You're going to give them all this information, and they're going to give you two levels down in the sentencing guidelines for acceptance of responsibility and one extra level for a guilty plea. I said, but what here? what is the government doing? You'll get this anyway without a plea agreement. So you've agreed to do all this shit. What has the government done? Oh, also, by the way, John, the plea agreement that they want you to sign, you're giving up your right to appeal, and you're giving up your right to collateral attack which means you can't come in on a habeas corpus later and try to claim shit. You've given all that up. But if you march into court without a plea agreement and plead guilty, you're going to get your acceptance of responsibility. You're going to get your extra level down for an early guilty plea. And you haven't given up anything, have you? Nothing. And this really irks the prosecutors that I kind of teach people to do this, that the government isn't giving you anything of value. Why sign an agreement that you're giving up shit, you're helping them out, and they're not giving you anything? Now, that is my so, pet peeve. And the lawyers try to get people to sign this shit. And I go, no, don't fucking sign it. 
I get angry, but I cut you so, off. So, so y- your advice is just to come in and just plead guilty. No, my advice, first of all, when somebody gets arrested, don't say shit. You remember on Adam Twelve, you have the right to remain silent. Remember them saying that? Yes. Well, yep. you need to fucking exercise that right. Give them your name, your date of birth. Yes, I am Larry Levine. Uh huh. Shake your head and shit. I know it's kind of like when you're on the witness stand. Quick thing for your people on the witness stand. Uh, you're up on the witness stand, and they're asking you all these questions. And you need to lie on the witness stand for whatever reason. Is your name John Oderman? And you stop and you think about it. You don't just say yes. You stop and think about your answer. <clears throat> you stop and you think about every answer. What's the, re- what's the reason or the thought process behind that? Because... They try to read you. Is your eyes going to the left? Are your eyes going to the right? Is it the creative side? Is it the thinking side? You know what I mean? This is like mm-hmm. psychology. You could read people. But if you, I fuck somebody out in the audience, I was doing it to this DEA agent. I was staring her down. My eyes aren't going to the right. My eyes aren't going to the left. I'm just looking straight at her. So there's no drifting here. They're asking me questions. You stop and pause between every answer. And you think of your think of the question and think of the answer. Then you answer. This way, they can't read you, John. This way, if they ask you a question and you don't have an answer for them, those few extra seconds give you the opportunity to create an answer, to lie essentially. And because you're not out of character, you see how you haven't deviated and done anything differently. Mm-hmm. They can't tell. I'm not condoning people that they should lie on the witness stand. Not at all. If you don't know, and I tell my clients this, if you don't know the answer to something, just say you don't know. You know, you just don't know. They don't know what you know or what you don't know. I was on, again, testifying at my own case, and they pull out a picture of like a, like a blow-up picture of me at the Santa Monica airport. Some people had flown in to have a meeting with me involving whatever illegal activity I was doing that day. They had their agents hidden there with their fucking cameras and their telephoto lens and all this shit. And they're showing me this picture. And they're telling me, like, we know, da-da-da-da-da, and you're here, da-da-da-da. I'm just like, "Mm -hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, I'm shaking your head. And they go, well, is that you? I said, well, it looks like me, but I don't know. Maybe it is, maybe it isn't. I don't know. And, well, we know da-da-da-da-da-da-da. They're going on and on and on. I go, okay, let's stop right here, fuckers. I called them that. If you fucking already know this shit, why are you asking me if you know it? Why are you wasting my time here as as an inmate? Because they took me out of the detention center. Why are you wasting my time if you already know it to have me say what you already know? Does it look like me? Yes, it does. Do I know 100% it's me? No, I don't fucking know. But if you're saying it was me and you followed me there, it's obviously fucking me, isn't it? And you know, John, they just don't know how to deal with this, right? Yeah. But I was so a, what, I was a model uh, inmate, believe it or not. <laughs> no, I was. Really? I didn't disrespect people. I didn't cause problems. I followed policy. I followed the rules. See, the rules are what the institution runs on. And I would put the staff on notice because they would ask me, you know, why are you doing this? Why are you doing that? I go, it's in the policy. And I go, remember, this isn't my policy. This is your policy. And since this is your policy and you don't like this, why don't you change it? 
But don't get into my face about following your policy. See how I spun that on them? Yeah, that's pretty it's pretty incredible. When I was on um, supervised release, my probation officer told me that if I violated, they didn't even want me back. You imagine that? Based on this interview, I can, but I've never heard that before. I know. But <laughs> you've never heard of anybody being at eleven different prisons before. That's true. One thing I have to ask you about: we are running out of time. Actually, well, two things. You mentioned earlier yeah. during this show about lie detector tests. Oh, and how how people can fool. All right. So here's lie what you do. Tests. All right. They are going to ask you the questions ahead of time because they don't want to. They don't want to surprise you. Is your name John Oderman? Yes. Yes. They want you to answer truthfully. Uh, do you live in Pittsburgh? Yes. yes. You ever been in a hot tub with two naked women? Yes. Okay, so they want to get these like answers. They want to see what a truthful answer is, right? Then mm -hmm. they ask you a question, and they want you to lie. They want to see, okay, what does a dishonest answer look like? These are called control questions. Now, if you know you're going to have a lie detector test, and they're asking you the questions – Every answer they ask, or every question they ask you, before you answer, I want you to take your back teeth and I want you to just bite down on the back of your tongue. I want you to cause pain in your body. You follow what I'm saying here, John? Yeah. You cause that pain and it causes like, it makes your blood pressure go up and your respiration go up and it makes the needle go like fucking cuckoo, like up and down and all around, like a merry-go-round. So they can't, like, zero in on you. Or if you have an opportunity, you put a thumbtack in your shoe. But don't step down on it real hard. Every time they ask, wear tennis shoes. Every time they ask you a question, push down on that thumbtack and have that fucking tack go into your foot. Create pain and discomfort. And it will just fuck the machine up. They won't be able to fucking read you. So they really don't know what an honest answer or a dishonest answer is, do they? And, and you want to do that sort of indiscriminately? Well, you on, don't tell them that. Uh, of course, but you, you'll do it on you know these leading questions where they're trying to get to say. No, you do it say, on you do it on every question. Okay. You do it on every question because the machine just goes crazy on every question. They can't read it. They can't read what an honest answer is. The test comes back inconclusive. And then when a test comes back inconclusive, they say they try to come up with something saying, well, you, you tried to beat the machine. They love to say this shit. And I'd say, well, perhaps it's the operator of the machine. He's not qualified to do this. How can I beat the machine? When he's a qualified operator, he's been doing this for so many years. He was trained by the FBI. But I managed to beat the machine. I say, and, oh, by the way, the lie detector that we're doing here, it's scientific. You can't even use it really in court as evidence. Did you know that, John? It's not. Yeah, it, I have heard it's that. It's not yeah. a proven science, and it it just drives them fucking nuts. Well, like the accuracy on them is it's not even that that great if they are working, and if someone isn't trying to beat it, it's. I mean, I don't know, it was something like seventy or sixty. Well, okay. Remember, I was a military intel officer, right? We used to fucking practice beating the lie detector. I used to beat the polygraph all the time. Stone face. You know what? You can think about something. On every answer, if you can't get your thumbtack or you don't want to bite down on the back of your tongue, 
think something crazy. Think about some really hot-looking woman sitting on the toilet taking a dump, and her eyes are bulging real weird, you know? And she's straining, and she's, like, trying to force it out. I know I'm getting a little graphic here, but the thought of this causes a response. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, that yeah. it just your blood pressure goes up, even on a yes answer to no answer. They just can't fucking read you, and it drives them crazy. That is uh, hey, that, that that's an incredible advice, John. Maybe hey, and maybe I am a threat to the community. <laughs> you might be. Well, one more one more question I want to ask you yeah. about. I had somebody request that I asked you about an individual. Hey. Um, a guy by the name of uh, Justin Paperney. He's a prison consultant like yourself. Justin Paperney, um, he's a fucking fraud, okay? This guy spent one year, one year, runs a company called White Collar Advice. He's been bad-mouthing me for years. He was a stockbroker, reached his hand in the cookie jar. He tried to justify it. He ended up getting a one-year federal sentence, okay? And he ended up spending it in a private federal prison, a private prison of all things. And he wasn't even there for an entire year. And um, he takes money from people, doesn't perform, lots of money, acts like he's an expert on this shit when he's never even been in a real federal prison. And he's doing some work with a guy now, I think you interviewed Michael Santos. Yeah, Michael Santos. Yeah, I've run into Michael at different events before. We both belong uh, to the National Association of Criminal Defense Lawyers, even though we're not lawyers. Ha ha. But uh, he's doing shit with Michael Santos. My understanding from my sources is he like ripped Michael Santos off. Another woman that was on your show, Holly Coleman. You remember her? Yeah, she was on very recently. Holly is actually working with me now at Wall Street Prison Consultants. I brought her in as a partner. Fantastic. You know, we're going to be doing shit for women. Holly did stuff. That was her prison consultant. This is really funny. Justin was her prison consultant. Didn't really provide her shit. Charged her a lot of money. When he got out, she got out, she was doing shit for him, helping him with women clients. He never paid her. He ripped her off. Can you imagine that? She had questions about some supervised release issues with the probation office. And another consultant told her to call me or reach out to me. So I get this chick reaches out to me on Facebook, right? She messages me, and I'm looking. I'm thinking, all right, who is this? I'm like, do I know you? And I'm looking. I see who her friends are. And then I get really suspicious. And she tells me her issue. I say, just fucking call me. We don't need to message this shit. 30 Mm -hmm. minutes later, she told me her story. I had her all her issues like resolved. Do this, do this, do this. This is why, and this is how. This fucking Justin, who she paid all this money to, didn't have a fucking clue as to how. Matter of fact, it was Michael Santos, of all people, that told her to call me. Michael told her, call, get it with Larry Levine. He knows how to do this shit. But the consultant that she paid all this money to didn't have a fucking clue. Justin Paperni is on ripoff report. Justin doesn't perform. Matter of fact, Justin Paperni's aunt, his mother's sister, has her phone number on ripoff report for his aunt Sherry. For anybody that is having problems with him and he's threatening to sue them, that they should reach out to her because she wants to help them. 
This guy, Justin, from what she told me, ripped off a 93-year-old blind rabbi in uh, Miami. Took him for like $25,000. You know, the guy, I guess wanting to help people is a good thing, but you're not getting any value. You know, Dan Wise, he doesn't have a lot of time in custody, maybe a year and a half or something. But Dan is doing a good thing. Dan is helping people. Dan is giving free guidance, free advice. I mm-hmm. admire yeah. that. You know? Yeah, Dan Dan was just on the show a couple weeks ago as well. So, right. Yeah. Dan, um, I've had issues. We've had issues in the past. We've kind of resolved them. But the point is he's doing a good thing and he's helping people. Okay? Right. My pet peeve is let's say you're going into custody, John. Not that it should happen, but hey, we live in that kind of world. Who the fuck knows? You've got problems. You have issues. Do you really need some cocksucker who spent one year, under a year, in a private prison taking your money, not performing, not answering your telephone calls? If, If I was going into prison, I would want to see the results of the prison consultants, people they've dealt with and how they've you helped look, people, hey, how they've look on my wall street prison consultants site. Have you been on there? Uh, yes, I was there earlier. Did today. you look under inmate testimonials? I did not, but I will. And I'll, I'll definitely link to your wall street site there on is, the show notes page as well. You have testimonials from people I helped on the inside when I was in custody. You have testimonials from clients. I helped on the outside. You know, you don't find me on ripoff report. I tell people, people call me. I listen to their shit and I go, "Uh uh-huh, uh-huh. I go, you know what? You've got a problem here that there's no resolution for this. Do not hire me. Do not pay me a penny. And do not call my competitors and pay them anything because some of them will just rip you off and tell you what it is that you want to hear and take your money. And that's not what I am about. And the new company Holly and I are putting together, that's what it's about. If we can help you, we will. If we can't help you, we'll tell you we can't. And if there's something else somebody can do that we can't do, we will refer you there. I will not spoon feed my clients bullshit under any fucking circumstances. You know, I won't. And if somebody needs to get a hold of me, 8555-PRISON. I'm not a salesman. I'm here to fucking help people. You know, that that's really my thing. And well, John, it wasn't my idea to even start this business. Do you know that? Whose idea was it? It was all the inmates I helped when I was in custody that said, wow, I wish I had met you before I went in and you could have worked with me and my family and my lawyer. And I thought, well, fuck, you know what? I'm going to turn this into a business. And if you Google yeah. Larry Levine prison, I come up half a million times. I've been on CNN, Fox News, NBC, ABC. I mean, uh, Nightline spent, ABC Nightline spent the whole day with me once, did a whole story on me. I've been on the cover of the LA Times, Wall Street Journal, Chicago Trib, USA Today. You won't find any of these other consultants that have as much media exposure as I do. That's because the media knows that when they call me, I don't fucking pull punches. Good or bad, I tell and truth. and I'll tell you also because I've I've watched a lot of those videos and you're entertaining. I mean, you're, you're entertaining to watch. You're gonna you're gonna keep the audience engaged. The one interview I forget what the topic was. It might have been 
Bernie Madoff talking about you were you were giving insight on what Bernie could experience in prison. I think it was Bernie. Maybe it was somebody else, but that doesn't matter. And, and you pulled out a – I think it was in the Neil, Neil Cavuto oh, show. You pulled out a rubber, glove. a rubber glove at the end. Oh, that guy. You know what? <laughs> After I did that – see, he that fucker Cavuto tried to cut me off. He did, and I don't yeah. like that shit. And it's funny. I had that rubber glove for some reason in my sport coat pocket that a buddy drove me down to the studio that day and I picked it up and I'm like thinking, all right, what am I going to do on this video and, or this interview? And I'm fidgeting and somehow the glove ended up in my pocket. And this guy, I'm talking to Cavuto and I like reach in my pocket. You can't see it. And I find the glove and I'm getting angry because he's cutting me off. Like, okay, watch this, you motherfucker. So I take the glove out and I hold it up to the screen. And you Google Larry Levine, prison, Neil Cavuto, Fox News, you'll see it. And I go, mm -hmm. and this is what Bernie Madoff has to look forward to. He better, uh, he better something. He better bend over something because they're going to go in deep, real deep. And Cavuto, you saw it, John. He goes ballistic, doesn't yeah. he? Oh, he, he, he looked like he was. We just wanted to disappear. Did you hear? Was, He's yelling. He's yelling now to this, now to this. He's yelling at the producer. Yeah, He's like, well, I guess our producer this. is not paying attention or something like, like that. Cut to this, yeah. cut to that. You know, because I yeah. told the truth. And I thought to myself, you know, I guess I'm never going to be on Fox again after that. Well, Shepard Smith has had me on several times, bringing okay. me in to talk. Should I've been on Fox probably a hundred fucking times since then. But now, John, they've got me in the black book. Okay, so I'm... I'm sitting there in like the control booth, uh, you know, with the cameras on me and shit. And I got the little earpiece mm -hmm. in. I'm talking to DC or New York or wherever, and they're prepping me before the show. And they go, "Well, uh, Mr. Levine, how are you today?" I go, "I'm good. I'm good." Well, we want to remind you that uh, we're a family network. You don't have any surprises for us today, do you? And I go, "Oh, I go." then I guess that I probably shouldn't say fuck when I'm on the air, should I? And they're like, no, 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 you can't do that. And I'm like, okay. I said, well, I'll do my best not to say motherfucker either. And while I'm on the air, I do this to Fox all the time. I act like I'm going to say something and I don't. Just to fucking tweak these fucking people. Because Fox is really uptight. But you know who the worst network is? Is Emmett? CNN. No, CNN loves me. CNN, I don't have an issue with. I've been on Brooke Baldwin so many times. It's M. It's well, I don't, MSNBC or NBC. What does it? It's NBC. I mm -hmm. will go down there, and these fucking people will try to sanitize me. They'll go, well, you know, you can't say that because I want to know ahead of time. What are you going to talk about? What are you going to say? I'm thinking you stupid motherfuckers, you called me down here to talk about the shit, and you're asking me what I'm going to talk about. But they're telling me, well, no, you can't say this. You can't say that. So they try to sanitize me, right? Sanitize what I'm saying. And I go, why don't I just fucking leave then? Why don't you fucking write a script for me, motherfucker? Tell me what it is I should say. <laughs> they go, well, no, we don't want you to do that. We'll go, well, make your fucking mind up. You know, I get, like, frustrated. They send limos for me now, John. I've been on several – sometimes I'm in several limos a day. One limo drops me off, takes me here, takes me to this studio because I'm in L.A. and Well, near L.A., near Ventura, actually. But it's like I tell them. They want me to come down and talk shit. Like, I don't fucking feel like going. I'm tired. I don't have time for this. Well, we'll send a car for you. We'll give you lunch. I go, oh, whoopee-doo, you're going to give me a fucking lunch. Big deal. 
well, we really would like you to come on. I go, okay, fine. I will come on. You know, and I'll go on and I'll talk shit, but they always have their hand on the button because they consider me. One guy showed my, showed me that like the book that they have that I'm considered a loose cannon and I could say or do anything. One of the networks, okay, that I'm on really, really good terms with. People don't know this. I'm going to let out a little secret here. Fantastic. Okay, you've heard it here first on Lions of Liberty with John Oderman and Larry Levine. They send me news reports every single day to get my opinion on them. What do you think, Larry? Do you think that this sounds plausible? You know, should we run this opposed to this? So essentially, they want my opinion on the news. Like, well, what story do you think we should run? Because they only have so much time to run different things. Should we run this over this? And I will give them my opinion. Do they follow your advice? Sometimes they do. Yeah. I imagine I'm not the only one that they're doing that to, but I'm kind of flattered that. Yeah, that's that's interesting to know that they do that. Uh, yeah, I'm sure they are you know, casting a, a wide net. I guess that makes sense. I mean, why wouldn't they do that? Reach out to people of influential people, uh, persuasive people to get, to get their, their idea on what news stories to run and what makes sense. Well, because, yeah. you know, if you watch, and I don't really watch much TV. There's a handful of shows I watch I like, but I don't watch a lot of TV. And my mom is like pro Donald Trump. You know, she thinks Trump pisses lemonade. Just, just the stuff that she says, but she like that's that's only in Russia where he pisses lemonade, well, or is that the, that's the hookers my who are mom, pissing yeah, lemonade? Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. My mom loved Nancy Grace, and I hated Nancy Grace. My mother told me of all people when Nancy Grace is on. You remember Nancy Grace? Yeah, of course. That Nancy says that we don't need defense lawyers because if the police arrest you, you're obviously guilty, and defense lawyers oh, Jesus. just get in the way. And I'm like listening to her tell me, me of all people, she's telling me this. I go, really? So the cops pull you over and they plant something on you. They charge you with something you didn't do. But because the police says it, that makes it okay, right? She goes, well, no. I go, well, you just said that we don't need a lawyer, that the police are always right. But she like believes Everything that Trump says, you know, and I wanted Trump to succeed. I really did. He needs to get over the fact that he won and start governing. But he thinks we're like fucking morons. Like he tells us lies. Just be honest. Be fucking straight up. I didn't like Clinton either. I thought that Trump was like a lying moron and she was a lying thief. But I voted for the thief instead of the moron because I deal with criminals already. And at least with a thief, you know what to expect. But with a moron, that could go either way. And I guess that's, we're seeing that now, aren't we? Well, that's that's true. And honestly, Larry, I would love to talk more about that. You're a really interesting guy. This has been one of my favorite interviews, one of the most entertaining interviews that I've had on this show, I think. And I'd love to have you back you know, sometime next year and whatever. talk about whatever. Hey, and let me ask you a question. We were only going to talk for 30 minutes, and we've been on for about an hour and 17 minutes. How much of this is going to get cut? None of really, it. We're gonna, it's all going to run. Really, buddy. is this the longest one of the longest ones you've done? It's uh, yeah, it's it's top five for maybe top two or three. Once again, yeah, it's, I have taken control longest. of somebody's show and monopolized it. But. <laughs> no, hey, John, you're a good dude. I have a question for you though. Okay. Sure. I was suspicious of you. Tell you why. 
You haven't okay. you haven't been in custody at all that I know of. I, I have not. You have that's not. True. But and uh, that's the that's the same. There's lots of people are suspicious about me because of that. Dan Weiss was was suspicious well, and okay, well, he was asking me questions story? about Are that. you just like a fucking do gooder that you just want to help felons? I mean, what is your ideology? I'm not a do. I don't think of myself as a do-gooder. I think I'm somebody that understands the system is entirely fucking broken. And like you said earlier, there's a lot of naive, stupid people out there that need to be slapped across the face to wake up to see the injustice that's happening around them. And I've had some things happen in my life to people around me that have had that have caused me to wake up. I didn't always understand this. I was I was naive too. So honestly, it helps me sleep at night by giving people like yourself, giving people like Dan Weiss or Holly Kuhlman or Michael Santos or or whoever who's suffered injustice has been through shit. Uh, giving you the the time to share your story and well, you know, creating you know an what? archive. Let's back up. Like I this. haven't suffered, just so you know. I have no. True, true. You, you're kind of the. Well, listen to this. You're, you're the exception. People look at my picture and they can't <laughs> believe that I'm 55 years old, right? They go like, "You don't look 55." I go, "Well, that's because prison was a stress-free environment." They're going, "It was what? Prison was a stress-free environment for me," and. <laughs> It, I didn't age, and then I got an associate whose wife was a prison psychologist. She said I treated the federal prison system like it was my own personal adult amusement park, if you can believe that. Well, it, it, it sounds like that. It sounds like you, you sort of did John, to, it, uh, to an extent. You need to make the best in closing. I know we got to close this. Guidance <laughs> and advice to the listeners. Make the best of whatever situation you have. Use your time wisely if you're in custody. Put yourself a program together because you're going to work so many hours, but you're also going to sleep for so many hours where you need to watch educational videos, read books, read magazines, get involved in activities. Because most people who go into custody, they sit around, they watch MTV, they jerk off, and they play cards. And you've just wasted a valuable part of your life that you can be productive, John. Use that time wisely from the day you go in to prepare for when you get out. Well, that is fantastic advice, Larry. This has been a super entertaining show, and I didn't know what to expect having you on. I, I obviously watched a lot of interviews. I I read, um, you know, looked through your website, and I knew that you were unique, and I knew it was going to be a different interview, and you have exceeded all those expectations. Most people are boring. Nobody wants to listen to boring <laughs> shit. I have, I've had That's CNN true. bring me on before and ask me, can you stir shit up? I go, huh? Well, can you stir shit up? Can you cause some controversy? I go, yeah, I could do that. Sure. Well, that's not a bad spot to be in, Larry. And we'll have to have you back on because why the hell not? I'm so, always here. All right. Thank you. I hope you guys enjoyed listening to Larry Levine and that episode as much as I enjoyed recording it. What an entertaining guy. What a unique interview that was. It was it was really a, a lot of fun to record. And I would like to hopefully at some point in the future have Larry back on the show. But before I do that, guys, that's way in the future. I want to tell you all about episode number 100, which is coming up next week. That's right, the 100th episode of Felony Friday. And for that episode, I have a very special 
episode planned. I'm going to be bringing on three police officers, three former police officers. They've all appeared on this show before. They'll come at the solutions. They'll come at the remedies to the problems we have in the current policing and in the criminal justice and throughout the criminal justice system. They all come out solving those problems in very different ways. One of them is a conservative, I would call it an old school cop. That is Dominic Izzo. He's been on the show before. The other one is more of a progressive. That is Michael Wood Jr. He's been on the show before. Michael's also been on Joe Rogan and a bunch of other podcasts. He's all over the place. And Rayford Davis, he's I've interviewed him before, and Mark Claire has also interviewed Rayford Davis. He is a libertarian. So the idea with this interview is to have a roundtable discussion of former police officers and find some areas where we have agreement. Of course, it's going to be areas where they disagree with each other and it'll be a spirit of conversation. But the goal is to find some areas where we can find agreement and really grow a coalition across the spectrum of politics. I mean, if we can get a conservative, a progressive, and a libertarian to agree that we need to end the war on drugs right now, then that's all we need, man. Let's do it. Let's move forward from there. So episode 100 next week, be sure to subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever the heck you get your podcast. You don't want to miss that episode, so check it out. couple more things. The best way to support this show, the best way to help us grow this show is by joining the Lions of Liberty Pride. All of the money that we get in the Pride, we take none of it back. It all goes right back into growing this show. We do have an ad buy coming up on another very successful libertarian podcast, trying to grow our audience, trying to bring more people into the Lions of Liberty. And those Lions of Liberty Pride contributions are key to allowing us to do that. And right now we're running a special for people who want to join the Lions of Liberty Pride It's our Black Friday special. It's going to run up until Black Friday, hence where the name comes from. So today is the last day. If you're listening on today, today is Black Friday. Um, So what you need to do is you go to lionsofliberty.com support. That'll take you to where you join. And what you get, if you join by by the end of the day on Black Friday, you're going to get in addition to all the other goodies that we give you in the Lions of Liberty Pride, which at the $25 level is everything from a uh, monthly conference call, to free t-shirts, to a free koozie, to, of course, all the great exclusive content we have. At the $10 level, it's less than that. You don't get the conference call. You get one less free t-shirt. Still get all the great content. At the $5 level, you get the great content, and that's that's what you get. But with this special, you're going to get an addition to all that stuff. You're going to get a free Lines of Liberty poster, and you're going to get a free Lions of Liberty koozie. So that is awesome. Now is the time to join the Lions of Liberty Pride. Jump on it. And if, if, if for some reason that's not good enough and you don't want to join, or if you just want to support us even more, we have another Black Friday special running up through the end of the day on Black Friday. 20% off at the Lions of Liberty store with discount code Lions Black. Fry. So that's Lions, L I O N S, Black, B L A C K, Fry, F R I. All one word, no spaces. That's your discount code. 20% off. Order as much stuff as you want. Pack that shopping cart up. Get your stuff for Christmas for all your little Lions of Liberty 
uh, family members who listen to the podcast. You can stock their uh, stuffings up with t-shirts and long sleeve shirts. And we have sweatshirts there now. All kinds of good stuff. So we appreciate your help on this Thanksgiving. I can't help but turn back and think about you guys supporting us, what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty, supporting me here on Felony Friday, doing this work that is very important to me. And I just want to let you guys all know that you are helping us to make a difference. And we really do appreciate that. So that's all I got for today, guys. Uh, Just thank you again for listening and hope everyone had a great Thanksgiving. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up in the fires of Liberty burning. (laughs) 